Hello and welcome to the Bible Podcast. On this show, we read through the Bible in just one year, a few chapters each day. Today is July 29th, and we are beginning the book of Isaiah. Each of the prophets of the Old Testament, from Moses at around 1400 B.C. to Malachi at around 400 B.C., communicated God's messages to Israel and Judah. God directly commissioned the prophets to their task, and the Holy Spirit empowered their work. Their job was to confront God's people with their sin to show them the inevitable consequences of judgment that would flow from their continuing to break God's covenant with them and to communicate a hopeful future for God's people that would extend beyond judgment. The prophets show us our need for a Savior and consistently point us to Christ. We read in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. From the beginning of God's relationship with people, there were prophets who enjoyed a face-to-face relationship with him, starting with Abraham and including Moses, Samuel, and David. The prophets were mediators of the covenant relationship between God and his people. The Lord promised to place his words in the mouths of his prophets, which they in turn would communicate to God's people. In their role as God's messengers, the prophets followed in the footsteps of Moses, the archetypal prophet who spoke with the Lord face to face and told God's people what God had said. Not only did the prophets bring God's word to Israel, they also brought the people's response to God and interceded on their behalf, just as Abraham, Moses, and Samuel had done. In Deuteronomy, Moses lays out the basic characteristics of a true prophet of the Lord. He speaks about the coming of a future prophet like himself, but the characteristics of that future prophet also apply to all true prophets of the Lord. Prophets were to be Israelites whose messages were in agreement with God's word and whose predictions came true. All who follow Christ are called to communicate his message to those around us. As we testify to the Lord, the Spirit gives us the power to communicate God's truth faithfully to a rebellious world. God spoke through the prophets in visions, dreams, and riddles. Some of those prophecies were clear and unambiguous. Yet who would have anticipated when Isaiah spoke of God with us, that God would take on human flesh, or that the glorious Son of Man would come not to be served but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many? The central interpretive message of the Old Testament prophets is that their message points toward Christ and the glories that would follow his sufferings. In other words, the heart of their message is not simply social action, morality, or predicting the future, but the good news about Jesus Christ. Although we have a better covenant with God based on better promises through Jesus Christ, we have much to learn from the Old Testament prophets and their messages. We too often live at odds with God's character, and we may find ourselves aptly rebuked by the prophet's condemnations. And we may also be comforted by their proclamation of hope. 
Our hope, like Old Testament Israel's, rests in the coming of a new Israel, Jesus Christ, the perfect law keeper who frees us from the condemnation and death that we deserve. The prophets show us our need for such a Savior by anticipating what this Savior would be like. They consistently point us to Christ. The anticipation of a prophet like Moses did not simply point forward to a line of individual prophets in Israel's history. Supremely, it represents the hope of a single climactic prophet. The New Testament makes clear that the expectation of a new prophet like Moses found its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. At his transfiguration, Jesus shone with divine glory, and God's voice from heaven declared, This is my dearly beloved Son, who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The divine command, listen to him, repeats. God was identifying Jesus as the prophet like Moses. At that event, Jesus' appearance was transformed and glorious, just as Moses' face had shown. Peter later made the same identification when he pointed to Christ as the climactic fulfillment of this expectation of a prophet like Moses. Stephen made the same connection while addressing the Jewish high council in Acts 7, verse 37. The promise of a prophet like Moses should have opened the hearts of the Jewish people to expect and welcome Jesus' coming, but instead it did the opposite. Many of them rejected the promised Messiah. In the past, God spoke through the prophets, but now he has spoken once and for all through his Son. See Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. In Christ, we have the ultimate revelation of God and his plan, and in Christ, we have the ultimate intercessor with the Father for us humans. In the past, God sent Moses as the mediator of his covenant, but as great as Moses was, he was merely a servant in God's house. Jesus is the Son, the mediator of the new and final covenant. He comes with a message of judgment for those who will not repent, but he has grace and mercy for all who come to the Father through him. He intercedes for us before the Father's throne, and he invites people from all nations, men and women, young and old, to receive the blessings of the new covenant. In him and through him, we are able to enter God's presence and dwell with him forever. Hallelujah. And amen and amen. So can God rescue us from the problems we face? Can he save us from oppressive world powers? Can he break the power of our sin and help us deal with its consequences? Throughout this book of Isaiah, which provides a vision of the loving greatness and holiness of God, Isaiah answers these questions with a resounding yes. The prophet's words sometimes overwhelm us with their beauty. At other times, his piercing words reveal our sin and drive us to our knees. Isaiah's own ministry began with the kind of vision that convicts the human heart, motivating us to trust in our Creator alone for forgiveness, restoration, and purpose in life. Isaiah the prophet was a Judean prophet during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. He had a long ministry from about 740 to 685 BC. He was the son of Amos and was possibly related to King Amaziah. 
He lived in Jerusalem, was well-educated, and had deep insight into human nature. As Judah's political and religious counselor, he had access to kings and was apparently the court historian. Isaiah's wife was called a prophetess. Their sons were Shir Jashub and, and Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Isaiah opposed social and political evil at all social levels. He censured fortune tellers and he exhorted everyone to obey God's covenant. He rebuked kings for their willfulness and indifference and he denounced wealthy, influential people who ignored their responsibilities. Isaiah opposed Canaanite idolatry and insincere religious observances, declaring that only a righteous remnant would survive. He foretold the coming Messiah, the peaceful Prince of God's kingdom, who was also an obedient, suffering servant. The book of Isaiah has more overtones of the New Testament than any other Old Testament book and is frequently cited by New Testament authors. Today, July 29th, we're going to cover Isaiah chapters 1 through 4. Let's begin. Chapter 1. These are the visions that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. He saw these visions during the years when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah. Listen, O heavens, pay attention, earth. This is what the Lord says. The children I raised and cared for have rebelled against me. Even an ox knows its owner, and a donkey recognizes its master's care. But Israel doesn't know its master. My people don't recognize my care for them. Oh, what a sinful nation they are, loaded down with a burden of guilt. They are evil people, corrupt children who have rejected the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. Why do you continue to invite punishment? Must you rebel forever? Your head is injured and your heart is sick. You are battered from head to foot, covered with bruises, welts, and infected wounds, without any soothing ointments or bandages. Your country lies in ruins, and your towns are burned. Foreigners plunder your fields before your eyes and destroy everything they see. Beautiful Jerusalem stands abandoned, like a watchman's shelter in a vineyard, like a lean-to in a cucumber field after the harvest, like a helpless city under siege. If the Lord of Heaven's armies had not spared a few of us, we would have been wiped out like Sodom, destroyed like Gomorrah. Listen to the Lord, you leaders of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, people of Gomorrah. What makes you think I want all your sacrifices, says the Lord? I am sick of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened cattle. I get no pleasure from the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to worship me, who asked you to parade through my courts with all your ceremony? Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offerings disgust me. As for your celebrations of the new moon and Sabbath and your special days for fasting, they are all sinful and false. I want no more of your pious meetings. I hate your new moon celebrations and your annual festivals. They are a burden to me. I cannot stand them. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. 
For your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. Wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. If you will only obey me, you will have plenty to eat. But if you turn away and refuse to listen, you will be devoured by the sword of your enemies. I, the Lord, have spoken. See how Jerusalem, once so faithful, has become a prostitute. Once the home of justice and righteousness, she is now filled with murderers. Once like pure silver, you have become like worthless slag. Once so pure, you are now like watered-down wine. Your leaders are rebels, the companions of thieves. All of them love bribes and demand payoffs, but they refuse to defend the cause of orphans or fight for the rights of widows. Therefore, the Lord, the Lord of heaven's armies, the mighty one of Israel, says, I will take revenge on my enemies and pay back my foes. I will raise my fist against you. I will melt you down and skim off your slag. I will remove all your impurities. Then I will give you good judges again and wise counselors like you used to have. Then Jerusalem will again be called the home of justice and the faithful city. Zion will be restored by justice. Those who repent will be revived by righteousness. But rebels and sinners will be completely destroyed, and those who desert the Lord will be consumed. You will be ashamed of your idol worship in groves of sacred oaks. You will blush because you worshiped in gardens dedicated to idols. You will be like a great tree with withered leaves, like a garden without water. The strongest among you will disappear like straw, their evil deeds will be the spark that sets it on fire. They and their evil works will burn up together, and no one will be able to put out the fire. Chapter 2 This is a vision that Isaiah son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills, and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion, his word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation, nor train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord, for the Lord has rejected his people, the descendants of Jacob, because they have filled their land with practices from the east and with sorcerers as the Philistines do. They have made alliances with pagans, Israel is full of silver and gold. There is no end to its treasures. Their land is full of war horses. There is no end to its chariots. Their land is full of idols. The people worship things they have made with their own hands. So now they will be humbled and all will be brought low. Do not forgive them, 
crawl into caves in the rocks, hide in the dust. From the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty, human pride will be brought down, and human arrogance will be humbled. Only the Lord will be exalted on that day of judgment. For the Lord of heaven's armies has a day of reckoning. He will punish the proud and mighty and bring down everything that is exalted. He will cut down the tall cedars of Lebanon and all the mighty oaks of Bashan. He will level all the high mountains and all the lofty hills. He will break down every high tower and every fortified wall. He will destroy all the great trading ships and every magnificent vessel. Human pride will be humbled and human arrogance will be brought down. Only the Lord will be exalted on that day of judgment. Idols will completely disappear. When the Lord rises to shake the earth, his enemies will crawl into holes in the ground. They will hide in caves in the rocks from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty. On that day of judgment, they will abandon the gold and silver idols they made for themselves to worship. They will leave their gods to the rodents and bats while they crawl away into caverns and hide among the jagged rocks and the cliffs. They will try to escape the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty as he rises to shake the earth. Don't put your trust in mere humans. They are as frail as breath. What good are they? Chapter 3 The Lord, the Lord of heaven's armies, will take away from Jerusalem and Judah everything they depend on, every bit of bread and every drop of water, all their heroes and soldiers, judges and prophets, fortune tellers and elders, army officers and high officials, advisors, craftsmen and astrologers. I will make boys their leaders and toddlers their rulers. People will oppress each other man against man, neighbor against neighbor. Young people will insult their elders and vulgar people will sneer at the honorable. In those days a man will say to his brother, since you have a coat, you be our leader. Take charge of this heap of ruins. But he will reply, no, I can't help. I don't have any extra food or clothes. Don't put me in charge. For Jerusalem will stumble and Judah will fall because they speak out against the Lord and refuse to obey him. They provoke him to his face. The very look on their faces gives them away. They display their sin like the people of Sodom and don't even try to hide it. They are doomed. They have brought destruction upon themselves. Tell the godly that all will be well for them. They will enjoy the rich reward they have earned, but the wicked are doomed, for they will get exactly what they deserve. Childish leaders oppress my people, and women rule over them. Oh, my people, your leaders mislead you. They send you down the wrong road. The Lord takes his place in court and presents his case against his people. The Lord comes forward to pronounce judgment on the elders and rulers of his people. You have ruined Israel, my vineyard. Your houses are filled with things stolen from the poor. How dare you crush my people, grinding the faces of the poor into the dust, demands the Lord, the Lord of heaven's armies. The Lord says beautiful Zion is haughty, craning her elegant neck, flirting with her eyes, walking with dainty steps, tinkling her ankle bracelets. So the Lord will send scabs on her head. The Lord will make beautiful Zion bald. On that day of judgment, the Lord will strip away everything that makes her beautiful. Ornaments, 
headbands, crescent necklaces, earrings, bracelets, and veils, scarves, ankle bracelets, sashes, perfumes, and charms, rings, jewels, party clothes, gowns, capes and purses, mirrors, fine linen garments, head ornaments, and shawls. Instead of smelling of sweet perfume, she will stink. She will wear a rope for a sash and her elegant hair will fall out. She will wear rough burlap instead of rich robes. Shame will replace her beauty. The men of the city will be killed with the sword and her warriors will die in battle. The gates of Zion will weep and mourn and the city will be like a ravaged woman huddled on the ground. Chapter 4 In that day so few men will be left that seven women will fight for each man, saying, Let us all marry you. We will provide our own food and clothing. Only let us take your name so we won't be mocked as old maids. But in that day the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. The fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of all who survive in Israel. All who remain in Zion will be a holy people. Those who survive the destruction of Jerusalem and are recorded among the living. The Lord will wash the filth from beautiful Zion and cleanse Jerusalem of its bloodstains with the hot breath of fiery judgment. Then the Lord will provide shade for Mount Zion and all who assemble there. He will provide a canopy of cloud during the day and smoke and flaming fire at night, covering the glorious land. It will be a shelter from daytime heat and a hiding place from storms and rain. Isaiah preached to what seemed to be a very religious people. They fasted and said prayers and celebrated holy days and brought their sacrifices to Jerusalem. Yet God rejected these practices. Why? These acts had value. The Lord himself had prescribed them. Yet the people's worship was not from the heart. And it was not accompanied by the personal holiness and social justice that God requires. The people of Judah had fallen into the trap of religious hypocrisy. Religious hypocrisy can result from selective obedience, from lip service to God's law without changes of heart and life to back it up. People who parade their piety for others to see often have little desire to truly obey God. Many years after Isaiah, Jesus confronted this kind of hypocrisy in the Pharisees. He challenged them to be better doers of God's whole revelation rather than just the parts that brought them acclaim. The apostles Paul and James also distinguished between more religiosity and true spirituality. Jesus' rebuke of the Pharisees also serves as a warning to us. We are not to be like them. Instead, Jesus calls us to be authentic before God and with others, to obey his entire word and to go beyond mere formalism and appearance in our devotion to God. Forego the outward Christian imagery. Looking back on this day in recent history, Adolf Hitler became president of Germany's National Socialist Party on this very day in 1921. The consequences would shatter the world. Hitler spread death as no person has done in modern history. Have no pity, act brutally. He told his soldiers as he ordered that those who opposed him be executed and that hundreds of thousands be thrown into prison. Hitler particularly hated and persecuted Jews. 
He and his minions were responsible for killing about 6 million European Jews, as well as about 5 million other people whom Hitler regarded as racially inferior or politically dangerous. Among them were many believers who stood against the evil. Isaiah emphasized there would be dire consequences to those who opposed God by taking advantage of the vulnerable. Hitler, a broken and defeated man, committed suicide only 13 years after he took power. Those brutalizing other earn God's wrath. Evil never wins. Though it spills hell out on earth for a while, Isaiah and God's backslidden people worshipped with their lips, but did as they pleased with their lives. The prophet spoke for God, saying judgment would soon follow, but there could be salvation if they repented. Isaiah's ministry spanned the period from his call until the last years of Hezekiah, or the early years of Manasseh. Looking out, sin never makes sense. In sinning, we only hurt ourselves. Isaiah asks, Why should you be beaten anymore? Will you persist in your rebellion? Hypocritical worship only makes matters worse for us. God tells his disobedient people, Your incense is detestable to me. I cannot bear your evil assemblies. God refuses to listen to us when we persist in sin. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Our faith must turn into action. God tells Israel they must seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, and plead the case of the widow. No matter how great our sin, God will forgive it if we repent. God invites us to come reason with him. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Help me, Lord, to remember that you consider worship to be far more than mouthing praises to you. May my worship be pure because I have sought your forgiveness for my sins. In Jesus' name. Folks, so glad you were able to tune in to the Bible podcast. Looking forward to being with you tomorrow, July 30th, as we read Isaiah chapters 5 through 7.